Hi there, my name is Dr. Shivana Naidu. I am a board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Over the course of my career, seeing and treating thousands of young patients and their families, time and time again, I am reminded of how confusing it is to navigate the system of mental health care. Who are mental health care providers? How is therapy going to help my child? Should I tell the school about my child's mental health issues? What is the real diagnosis? Is medication going to change my child's personality? These are all really important questions. When parents and patients ask me these questions, there are a million thoughts I want to share. But usually, I only have two minutes left in the visit. Since I am back-to-back with patients, I don't always have the time to answer them the way that they deserve and the way that I really want to. So, this is why I started this podcast, to give you the information you need to help you think through the tough questions you are already asking, so that you can help your child in the best way possible. So join me, let's think it through, with Dr. Naidu, child psychiatrist. Hi there, welcome to Thinking It Through with Dr. Naidu, child psychiatrist. Episode 12, Look at Me, Parent Perspectives Shaping Children. I wanted to spend an episode speaking about the perspectives we as parents have of our children and how this affects them. Now this may sound pretty subtle and maybe even insignificant, but as a child psychiatrist or honestly any field of pediatric medicine, which includes therapy, meds, or any other intervention, the pediatric practitioner always gets the perspective of the parent. And usually the perspective of the parent is weighed upon pretty heavily, sometimes even exclusively. So I want to spend some time reflecting on that power and the limitation of us as parents putting our own perspective on our child and how this can affect them. Now, this doesn't just happen in mental health. This happens in every field, in part because children cannot consent to their own treatment, which is a legal term, consent, meaning that kids are not able to fully understand and agree to the treatment at hand. We need to have the parent perspective and buy-in when we have treatments for children. But this also happens because depending on the age and stage and willingness of the child, the parent is better able to explain and articulate the problem at hand, especially if you have a little under five, right? You need the parent. But as we know, whenever we tell a story, whenever we recount what we observe, there is a slight alteration or spin that occurs which we may or may not really be aware of and which may or may not really reflect what actually happened. This is called recall bias. As a parent, you know this firsthand. If you ever tried to stop two of your kids from fighting and dad happened to also observe it and you ask all of them what happened, you get different versions of the story, right? We each have our own perspective and our perspective affects how we feel and how we feel affects how we react and how we describe the situation. On-call pediatricians do this all the time. The parent has a concern of their child being sick They call the pediatrician on the telephone, they endorse the concerns and symptoms, and the pediatrician may or may not make recommendations based on that endorsement. 
I remember I had called our pediatrician once. My youngest son, Dylan, was 14 months. He had been ill for a few days and had a stomach bug, you know, diarrhea, vomiting, you know, all that fun stuff. And he was over the stomach bug for about 48 hours. And then all of a sudden, around 9 p.m., when he should have been sleeping, he wasn't. His left leg just stopped working. He was walking around, chatting, talking, when he should have been sleeping, happy as could be, and then all of a sudden, his left leg just stopped working. He was hobbling and dragging it on the floor, and it couldn't support his weight. And he was still smiling and laughing, seemed really unbothered by it, didn't have any pain, but was just not able to walk. And I, of course, was freaking out, right? Like, I was frightened, I was terrified, like, what could happen? My perfect little kid who was running and jumping all over just couldn't move his leg? Like, what was going on? So I panicked. I called the online pediatrics office, and I got in touch with our own pediatrician who knows us and knows my son. So she triaged him over the phone. And this was all pre-telehealth COVID days, right? When it wasn't typical to just hear someone on the phone, but on-call docs do this all the time, right? They hear things on the phone and they make a recommendation. So when I described what my concerns were, she said that she believed that it was a viral myositis. So that would means it was just a transitory thing, it would go away in a few days, and it was a five-minute phone call, no exam done. And before she hung up, you know, I told her I was kind of scared that I was I was scared even though this was temporary and I knew it would get he would get over it. And then she told me, hearing the fear in my voice, you know what's really scary? And in my head, I'm like, I don't really care what's really scary. I want to know what's happening to my child right now. And that is what's really scary. But I listened and she said, epilepsy. Epilepsy is really scary. Seeing your child have a seizure right in front of your eyes. Now that is scary. And then I kind of checked my thoughts and I said, yeah, uh, you're right. That would be really scary. But why on earth would you share that with me now? So in that interaction, what happened? I shared my perspective of my child, which was not just what I saw, but what I thought about what I saw, tying in the prior GI upset to the potential of him having this group of symptoms. And by my pediatrician hearing what I thought about what I saw and what I saw, she drew her own conclusion from her medical expertise and knowledge of kids and anxious parents like me, and I got help. And then my pediatrician, who heard the anxiety in my voice, shared her perspective, not just of my child, but another child who could be in a worse situation. And that helped me put my own anxiety into perspective. Now, it's one thing to have a perspective of a child, But as parents, our perspective is pretty powerful because it actually shapes our child. I have a wooden sculpture in my office that I'm going to try to describe to you as best as I can. It's a wooden sculpture of an agendered parent and they're sitting down and they have their child on their knees facing them. They're kind of holding each other. The child's arms go into the the mother or father's arms and they're looking at each other. And the, the parents' knees are supporting that child on their knees. So they are kind of an intertwined, um, all from one wooden piece kind of a sculpture. And I bring this to your attention because in the sculpture, when I hear parents describing a story about their child, And I hear children describing a situation of their parents where there is judgment. There's more than a perspective. There's an actual call on what's happening in terms of value. 
I draw their attention to the sculpture because children and parents are very much connected in how we think and how we react and how we see each other shapes ourselves. I know when my children look at me and they say, I love you, mom. You're the best mom ever. That makes me feel so much better about myself and all the terrible things I think I do as a parent. And I know the same thing happens when I tell my kids how proud I am of them because I see it in their face. Their eyes light up. They stand a little bit taller. You can tell that what we say to each other has a great big impact on what we feel about ourselves because how we see our children will shape how they see themselves. So I'll tell you a quick story again about my youngest son, Dylan, um, that my nanny told me when she was watching him. So he's four and he's pretty (laughs) self-assured. He thinks a little bit more than um, a typical four-year-old. He has a lot more self-confidence, I think, than my older son had and definitely doesn't get it for me. (laughs) But he has that extra confidence somehow. Anyway, my nanny took him to the library and was observing him with other kids. He loves kids, and he went up to some of the children there and introduced himself. So what was his introduction? It goes something like this. He said, hi, my name is Dylan, and I know everything. So my nanny told me this, my mouth dropped to the floor. I could not believe, one, that's how he introduced himself, and two, that he thought he'd be able to make friends that way, right? Like, I wondered, where did he get this idea? And I recall, between the ages of two to three, As Dylan would speak and describe with his words and come up with his own answers to things, he always kind of had a quick answer for stuff. He he was pretty verbal uh, pretty early on. We're very lucky. Um, And I remember my husband and I would lovingly joke with him and say, you know everything, don't you? When he had a quick response. And this turned into his perspective of thinking that, oh, I actually do know everything. He does feel like he knows everything. So... Obviously, we have to work on that, (laughs) but it's just an example of how some things that we may nonchalantly say can really affect how children think and shape their own mind and their thoughts. But I bring this up as a child psychiatrist because every day as a part of my job, I hear parents and their concerns and how they describe in their own words their concerns for their kids and their understanding of symptoms and how those symptoms came about, how those symptoms affect their child and how um, that child is, right? The, The parents describe the symptoms of children and then who their child actually is. And although I'm listening for the symptoms that parents endorse, I'm also listening to how they tell the story of their child. Because I know this shapes that child and their sense of who they are and who they can become. And sometimes I see very unfortunate situations where you can tell that the parent and child are so stuck, so stuck, that they really dislike each other. And it's so heartbreaking because to see that level of erosion between the parent and child is sometimes so sad, you know, but also so much work can be done, right? And that's why you're here to get the help so that we can do something about it. There's no question that there is no tougher job on the planet than being a parent. There is no more difficult thing to do than put yourself and your emotions and feelings and thoughts and time aside so that you can dedicate all of that to your kids. 
And because of how children interact with us, it brings up stuff within us, our own emotions, our own thoughts and feelings and reactions. And we may not be ready to deal with that. And we think we know our children. We think we understand them. But so much of what our children give to us is that stuff that's inside of us from our own childhood that comes out because our kids bring it out with us. And we have to give our children the opportunity to grow and to change and to surprise us. So for little kids, such as those kids under the age of five, they oftentimes have their own special spidey sense. It may seem like they're oblivious to how we as adults think and feel, and oftentimes it may seem like they have the worst timing, right? That they say things, do things, ask things when we're really not ready. But they, more than any other age, feel the energy coming from us and the energy in a room better than anyone. Also kids on the spectrum, kids who have uh, autism or some developmental delay, they also tend to have this kind of spidey sense. So if you and your partner are stressed out, like we've all been because of COVID, they're going to pick up on it. And if you're feeling anxious or depressed or really frustrated, they're going to pick up on it. And what I've found clinically is that little ones can pick up on this energy and then model it back to the parent. Again, going back to that wooden statue, the mind of the child and parent are so connected. So when I have littles come into my office with symptoms of anger, aggression, hitting, biting, sadness, anxiety, that's when I ask about the family unit. And more often than not, there is some monkey wrench in the mix that's stressing the whole system. A move to a new house, grandma moving in, grandpa getting sick, marital stress, dad going to the military, a new baby is born, older brother's going to school, and so on. So these littles are really giving us, with their behavior, the perspective of what may be happening that's causing stress on the whole family. And what I find really interesting, especially with these littles, is that parents will say, I know my child is anxious because they are just like me. They have all the symptoms I had as a child. So I'm going to challenge you here, like with your three-year-old or four-year-old. When parents come and tell me these things, I ask, really? Really? Are they just like you in every single way? Are you 100% certain that what they are experiencing is what also happened to you? Because it's very possible, very, very possible that as a parent who has undergone your own anxiety, your own trauma, your own history, that you are finely tuned to these symptoms and you are going to try and pick it up proactively because you want to prevent this, right? You don't want your kid to go through that trauma or experience that you had. But children can be similar, but they are not the same as us. And oftentimes what we think we know is happening for our child is really just what we think is what's happening for the child versus what's happening to the child. And they may be reacting to something entirely different, something that you don't even see and have different symptoms than we experienced. And that's okay because you are being proactive and trying to get your child the help they need. But this again comes back to perspectives. If a parent has had their own experiences it is sometimes easy for us to think this is happening to our child. We even sometimes put it on that child. And this is called projection, right? When what we think 
we have is what we know our child has. And although it could be true, it could very well be true, we have to be very careful that our parent perspective does not blindsight that child or the doctor or clinician that's giving your child treatment. So that way the child has a chance to show their true selves and help us as the clinicians really understand what's going on. And that's why oftentimes clinicians will ask to talk to the child by themselves without the parent being there, even if the kid's nonverbal, just because we want to get our own sense of what's happening to this child and how they interact with a stranger. Because every child has the right to write their own story, to feel their own reaction, and to grow towards the sun in their own way. So again, I wanted to do an episode on this about parental perspectives and how it affects children because sometimes when children come to me, there are problems that are so big, so pervasive, and so impairing, it feels like this child and essentially this family is stuck. Stuck repeating the same pattern. Stuck on the same hamster wheel spinning and spinning and spinning and going nowhere. And part of the reason for this is that we as parents develop a set perception of our children and how it's going to go down when we speak to them. And kids do the same thing, right? My kids, for example, they know no matter what time of the day, I'm not going to let them drink soda. They can ask. It can be a holiday. It can be their birthday. I will say no. So what do they do? They go behind my back and they ask their dad, right? (laughs) Who usually says yes. And this is just an example of what speaks to larger challenges in our parenting. But, you know, Kids know, my kids know that this is what they're going to get from their mom. They have a set perception of what's going to happen, so they don't even bother asking me. And this is just an example of how our children also have perspectives of us and expectations for how we as parents will handle requests and also handle life. I work with several children and teens who have attempted suicide. And when I ask these teens, and sometimes children, How come they didn't tell their parents when they made the attempt? The primary answers are, one, I thought they would be mad at me. And two, I thought they would be disappointed with me. And three, I thought they wouldn't believe me. So here again, we have an example where teens who've tried to kill themselves, tried to end their life, have a misperception of how the adult figure in their life would react or would care. And maybe it's completely inaccurate, or maybe it is pretty accurate. So we have to kind of think about this and know that we're kind of raising our children to build this expectation. And sometimes it's a false expectation. And so often for my teens who have attempted suicide, after they make the attempt, they realize their assumptions were incorrect right? Their parents do love them and want to be there for them and wish they had told them. So I raise this thought about perception because even though we as parents and children can get stuck on that hamster wheel of seeing things as we want to see them and as we think we see them again and again, maybe we can still open ourselves up to the possibility that our kids can surprise us that we as parents can learn new tricks and surprise ourselves and we can do things differently, do things better, hear things differently and react to situations differently 
to create this new space, a new opportunity between children and ourselves to let our children really show us what they are made of. Because again, how we see our children will shape how they see themselves. And this is foundational. It's a foundational concept that as parents, we all need to really understand because when emotions run high, such as during a tantrum, or when kids are really, really, really (laughs) annoying and defiant, the words that impulsively come out of our mouths as parents can really affect our kids. And we know it because we feel it, right? We feel it right inside of ourselves when it comes out of our mouth. We've all been there saying something that we know we really could have said better. Or seeing our children shrink in front of us, such as saying, you know, Jake, you are so annoying. Just stop. Versus, Jake, your behavior is really annoying. Please stop. Or, Jake, make a better choice. You're choosing to be annoying and you can do better. Because in the same token, we can say things to our children to help them stand up so much taller, to help them pull themselves up off the ground and walk on. We could say instead, hey, Jake, I really liked how you pulled yourself out of that funk. Nice one. Or Jake, good job at working so hard to tie your shoelaces. Or Jake, high five, you did good. You know, all of these ways to just encourage and focus on those positives um, whenever you can to kind of build a buffer for the times that the things that fall out of our mouths that are not so positive could really be damning. And my hope is that if you have felt this, if you have felt it in your gut when those words come out of your mouth and your child has shrank a little, a little lower, to first one, forgive yourself, right? We are all human. We all make mistakes. If you listen into my Fix It Fridays, you know I do. I make tons. And two, to own it and acknowledge it. Because we make the mistakes, we're going to forgive ourselves for it. And three, we're going to tell our child that we made a mistake. We made a mistake to use those words. And that we, too, will do a better job next time. Because when you do that, when you own the mistake and you apologize and you tell your kid you're going to do better, you teach your child that it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to admit it. It's okay to own a mistake because then you can learn from it and move on. And this is far more powerful than just making the mistake and brushing it aside. Because I know that you can do this, right? You can do this. You're an amazing parent. And that's why you're listening here. You're trying to give your best to your child in this life. And being intentional with your words and your response to them when you can, when you can catch yourself, will continue to further their development and their own positive perspectives of themselves. Remember that no matter how frustrated, confused, overwhelmed, or uninformed you feel, I know that you are smart enough, brave enough, resourceful enough, good enough to do something about it. That's why you're here, right? So in this episode of Look at Me, Parent Perspectives Shaping Children, I introduce the concept of how our parental perspectives can affect our children and their development, and how the responses we have to our children and the words we use can shape their sense of self. As a parent, more than anyone else, you have the power to truly nurture your child's best sense of self. And that's pretty amazing, right, that you do that on an everyday basis. So thank you for joining me. 
In this episode of Thinking It Through with Dr. Naidu, child psychiatrist. I will think with you soon. Hi again, this is Dr. Naidu. Thank you for joining me in this episode of Thinking It Through with Dr. Naidu. Please remember that the opinions expressed in this podcast are my own and not representative of my job or any organization that I belong to. Please remember that the info provided in this podcast is not medical treatment or a substitute for medical treatment. Please always bring up these points with your own doctor and think it through with them too. If you or your family member are struggling with suicidal thoughts, please don't wait. Please don't hesitate. Call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK or text the Crisis Text Line at 741741 or call 911 and bring yourself or your child to the nearest emergency room. If there's a topic that you'd like me to address or discuss in this podcast, or if you have any feedback for me to make it better, please do email me at drshivananaidu at gmail.com. That is dr. S H I V A N S Nancy A dot N S Nancy A I D S and Dog O O at gmail.com. I will think with you soon.